Let's do some exploring. Our topic today is compassionate capitalism, not ordinary capitalism, the compassionate kind. Does that sound like utopia? Strictly woo? Is it even possible? Let's dig in. We've been talking about the process of trying to change a business culture, and we began with some of the horror stories of how we got here. We've talked about the mistakes that have made so many times. And then last week, we touched on something that did work. This week, in our final episode of this series, we're going to get even more practical. Last week, I shared how I led a culture change in the organization I was readying for sale. Our purpose was to sell that company for the maximum amount of money possible to help the two owners in their retirement. But our mission was to be a trusted supplier. Well, the magnificent results that occurred and the extra retirement windfall the owners gained made a lot of the hard work that we had put in well worth it. And under the new ownership, my group became the standard, the benchmark for the rest of the subsidiaries to follow. But here's what happened. There was no official order from at the top of the new corporate headquarters for the other subsidiaries to do exactly that. So unfortunately, the financial results of the entire organization continued to be spotty. My team kept finding ways to be better and our profits continued to climb. And I always thought it was because we were the underestimated Canadians. In hindsight, I think the truth was we were scrappy, we were innovative, we were focused, and we were united in our cause to be a trusted supplier. As often happens, a bigger company came along and decided the group that we were now a part of was ripe for the pickings. So within a few years, I led another sale of ourselves to a bigger fish. And this is when I saw up close and personal how culture can make or break a company. And why I now always say, be careful what you wish for. The new acquiring company was very old, respected, and publicly traded. Now this is code for quarterly results to shareholders absolutely must always show an acceptable level of improvement. The new acquiring company believed its processes were its main profit driver. Consistent processes across the world meant consistent quality, consistent customers, consistent employees, and consistent profit. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with consistency anywhere. The culture of the acquiring company was focused on safety. Every single memo, speech, written content, policy manual had the words be safe or keep safe in them. Safety was paramount. Now, to be honest, I found the safety thing a bit nauseating. My company had reduced accidents from one every few months to one a year. I believed then, and I still believe, that humans cannot be on 100% of the time and ask for 100% safety everywhere. However, this was a much bigger company, and I knew what was needed to play the game. So safety became our thing. 
every piece of new capital we wanted, every single budget we crafted, every single thing we wanted at all. Well, safety became the way to approval. No longer did we put everything through the lens of most trusted supplier. Everything went through the lens of safety. And inside of a year, we had no more workplace accidents. That one that we used to get went to zero. So that's a hip hip hooray, right? Well, inside of that year, we also lost our scrappy edge, our thirst for innovation, and our respect for individuality and creativity. By following the consistent processes way and the safety first culture, we destroyed our competitive advantage in the marketplace. We lost our high profit margins, our employees lost their zest for working with us, and our customers began leaving us. Within another four years, what remained was a shell of a company which was ultimately sold off because the acquiring company decided the fit just wasn't there. Now, I share this story because it contains so many lessons of the big news stories that we have read in the financial papers over the last, what, four decades? The compassion or human side of mergers and acquisitions is almost always missing. First, the marriage of two or more companies, well, that was supposed to work, and then they didn't. Smashing cultures together is supposed to work, but it usually doesn't. Reputations, well, they're built on faulty and exalted analysis of what could be, and then so many innocent people ended up on the carnage pile through no fault of their own. Now, I don't want to make this a rehash of all the things that bad capitalism has brought us. What I want to focus on is how to establish a good purpose. The most important thing about defining your purpose is that it should be big. Bigger than you, bigger than your world, and something worth working towards. Being a trusted supplier, healing the planet, navigating the unknown. These are big. These leave lots of room for innovation and creativity and for human beings to claim their own stake within it. Whereas safety first, quality before quantity, be the best, be the first, be the preeminent in anything, these are not empowering. These are not something most humans can see themselves doing or supporting. Now, there's a huge uproar right now about how damn difficult it is to find qualified employees, that there is a shortage of excellent employees. And I submit that that is the wrong way to look at it. There is a huge supply of employees, excellent employees, but there is a huge shortfall of excellent managers and leaders, the kind that stir the hearts and minds of the right people. The first thing one needs to do in order to hire and keep the right people is to give them a dream or a hope to believe in. And that starts with your purpose. Now, for many of you, your purpose 
just needs a bit of reframing, especially if you've been in business longer than 10 years. So let me give you a few ideas to help you reframe your purpose. Say you're some kind of delivery organization. You deliver freight, water, mail, parcels, furniture, explosives, computers, whatever it is, actually doesn't matter. Look at the action you do and the main action you do it with. Can you give it a verb? For example, you deliver water. What you do is hydrate your world. Hydrating the world is so much bigger than delivering water. How you hydrate is delivering drinking water. And maybe your social causes are putting in water wells in certain locations around the world. Do you see how your purpose now opens up many different ways of thinking, acting, feeling, and doing? Because that is what your purpose should do, can do, will do when you get it nailed right. Okay. So say you're a digital marketing company. You deliver content that works electronically. Oh my God, big snore. How about our clients trust us to deliver their messages? Completely different way of thinking, isn't it? Okay, so you're a podcasting agency. You produce the strategy, the episodes, and the outreach materials for your clients. Well, big whoop-de-doo. There's a million companies like that. You want to set yourself apart. You want to hire dreamers and workers who believe in your purpose. So how about we elevate our clients to trusted experts or we put our clients on the trusted experts path? It's a different way of looking at what you do. You're an agriculture company. I don't care what you grow. You feed the world. You're a pharmaceutical company making solid generic products. Well, you keep the world healthy for pennies, not dollars. Say you're in the green space. You're saving the planet or healing biodiversity or changing attitudes about nature. Or maybe you're a cybersecurity company, accounting, or a law firm. What you're really doing is keeping your clients safe and protected or wrapping your clients in a protective bubble. My point in sharing about why your purpose is so damn important is this. Keep it narrow and limit your growth, your opportunity, and your profits. Keep it wide and inspire your customers, your employees, and your world. It really is that simple. There is no room for excellent customer service, best quality ever, number one or number two producer maker of goods and services anymore. There is only room for those who dream big, think big, and do big. And remember, big doesn't have a solid definition. So your idea of big will work because you are competing against yourself. 
not your competition. And that is a fundamental part of compassionate capitalism. Think about it. If we knew the unintended consequences of the thoughts and the actions that we took 20, 30, 50, 75, 100 years ago, we'd ask for a do-over. And since we can't do a do-over, what we got to do now is a do-better. And not do better, it's got to be for the highest good of all.